for me, like the real audit starts once you've wrapped your head around the protocol. You know, once you can, once you've you've looked at the code so much and you understand the code so much that you could just kind of like in your head, you know, think through certain workflows and maybe not every detail, but you know, you could you could you could kind of work it through your head. Or if you start dreaming about the code, then you know you've reached this the zone. But that's when the real the real uh, audit starts because that's when you can start think of thinking of bigger picture things. You could start uh, you know think of various kind of economic attacks, game theory type attacks. You know, because up until then, when you don't really have a, a, a strong understanding of the protocol. You're just finding like the same kind of thing that static analyzers can find. You're just finding little syntactical things, little informational or low issues. Maybe there's some high ones because the developer made a mistake, but they're not really that creative. Like those are the things that I really love to find. Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. Today's guest is Dev Tooligan, a pseudonymous smart contract engineer and auditor. Dev Tooligan is a mainstay in the Huff community and just recently landed a job as a security engineer at Trail of Bits. In this episode, we went really deep into Huff and why so many Huffers have had lots of success. Uh, that includes people like Dev Tooligan himself, uh, Jay Trilly, who is the former co-host of this podcast, people like Vex, RevCell, many, many others that we mentioned in this episode. But why have they done so well? Uh, we explore that in this episode, and it might have something to do with Huff being a good education tool. But we also discussed Dev Tulikin's career path and how he got really good at smart contract security. If you're trying to level up as an engineer in the space and want some advice on what to do next from someone who has a really fast rate of learning like Dev Tulligan, we think you'll love this episode because Dev Tulligan is the man. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. As devs, we all love hackathons. They're a great way to boost your skill set, meet other engineers, and add to your portfolio of work. At Superfluid, we've sponsored many hackathons and decided to start putting on a hackathon of our own, the Superfluid Wave Pool. This hackathon is a little bit different though in that it's continuous, it's always open. You can submit any project built on Superfluid at any point throughout the month and have a chance to earn thousands of dollars in prizes depending on how your project stacks up. In just the last couple of months, we've seen dozens of teams build really amazing projects that run the gamut from superfluid developer tutorials to full-fledged applications uh, to a proof of concept, superfluid Starknet implementation that we thought was really, really impressive. So we encourage you to check it out today. You can learn more by going to superfluid.finance slash wavepool. That's superfluid.finance slash wavepool. Happy hacking. But all right, we are here today with the legendary Dev Tooligan. It's good to have you here. I, we were saying off, off air that pretty much everyone we've had on who's a Huffer, aka into Huff, writes a lot of Huff code, has recommended that we we talk to you and we do an episode with you. So I'm I'm glad we're gonna get to do this. Um, but before we get into Huff and security, uh, congrats on landing a recent job with Trailer Bits as a security engineer. Um, we'd love to understand how you got into crypto i know you were a web developer before but like how'd you go from just like general web development into this uh wild west of a space sure sure 
Thanks, Sam. I, first of all, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And uh, yeah, I've listened to, I think, most of the episodes. So it's, uh, it's really cool to actually be here talking to you. Um, yeah, so I was a web developer and uh, I started my first job in web development was in 2016. And um, actually around that time, 2017, I did like a Ethereum hackathon. So that was like my first exposure. But then I didn't really do much after that. I was super busy just like, you know, developing my web development skills, you know, uh, I was I was doing uh, like a Python JavaScript stack, and um, I started out as like the number one uh, in-house employee for this kind of small startup, and I stayed with them for about five years until uh, we exited. So uh, toward the end of that time, I started getting a little antsy. I was kind of feeling a little burnt out, and I was super interested in everything going on on the blockchain. So I started kind of messing around with Solidity. You know, of course, I did the crypto zombies and, uh, you know, all that fun stuff. And uh, summer of 2021, I uh, heard about these mentorships. It's basically like an internship with uh, Ethernet Dow. And so I applied for one with Yield Protocol. And yeah, I got accepted. Um, so the tech lead at Yield is... Uh, Alberto, Alberto Cuesta Cañada, and he was just an amazing mentor. Uh, he is so knowledgeable. He's kind of a, uh, a bit of a crypto OG, and he uh, is an excellent teacher, and he's just, just a really like kind person, you know. So he kind of uh, took a group of us under his wing, and yeah, I mean, that led to an offer from Yield, and um, yeah, that's how I, I got into the space. I love it. I actually remember those. Uh, <clears throat> and sorry, I'm choking on my my drink of water I just had. But I remember those those uh, initial uh, mentorship offerings from Ethernaut. I remember kind of just like lurking in the in the Ethernaut Discord and just like reading some of the content people put in. There was like really good Q and A sessions in there. I remember. Um, but that's really cool. That's how you got your first. Uh, I guess, opportunity in the space. You had some development experience for sure before that, but what were some of the early things you worked on at Yield? Like what were some of the initial, I'm, I'm assuming you were writing Solidity there. Yeah. Um, yep. What were some of the initial things you worked on? Solidity from day one and Alberto had put together a kind of a syllabus. It was like 10 different exercises that built on each other. So the first thing we did was we just kind of made a simple vault and then we kind of built on top of that. We added some complexity. We uh, turned it into like a, a multi-collateral vault. And then we started looking at like AMMs. We built our own AMM. So there was a natural progression. But I think around the sixth or seventh uh, exercise, we started doing actual work for yield. Okay. So of course, it was just small things, fix some tests, whatever at the beginning. But, um, you know, let's see, we started in August. I'd say by November, we were all working on fairly substantial stuff, whether it was like new features in a, in a, in a smart contract or, you know, new kind of uh, smart contract modules. But yeah, within a couple of months, we were, we were pretty, we were up to speed enough at least to, 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 to start, you know. Uh, so yeah, that, that was kind of like the beginning. That's really cool. It's really cool you got to progress from just mentorship and, you know, just educational exercises into real work. Um, and, and how did you get into 
low level stuff? Like, how did you go from just writing Solidity and maybe contributing at Yield to thinking, all right, how does Ethereum work? What's this Huff thing? Like, how, how did you get so into to Huff in the low level? Yeah. Well, that was, uh, so this was like kind of end of 2021. And then I started full time with Yield at the beginning of 2022. And this was like around the time that Soulmate came out. And, you know, there was a lot of low level stuff, a lot of Yule in there that I didn't understand really at all. And I remember trying to find resources on it. There was a bunch of really super old videos. And um, I also found some tutorials. And I must have spent maybe like two and a half weekends, like solid weekend, just trying to go through these tutorials. And man, I was just like banging my head against the wall. I didn't really get it. I kind of memorized some stuff, but I, I didn't really uh, have an understanding. And uh, I can't remember what triggered it, but Jet Jadeha reached out to me and he was like, yo, man, you should try Huff. And I was like, well, you know, I was planning to look at lower level, like bytecode stuff after I learned Yule. I thought that would be like a good progression, you know, learn Yule. And then go, he's like, no, you got to do it the other way around. Uh, he said, there's a, there's a guy named Dylan Keller. Uh, he's a bit of an OG himself, the index finance guy. And he was involved a lot with uh, kind of bringing Jet up to speed on Huff. So he's like, yeah, Dylan told me the same thing. You've got to try it. And oh man, that really changed my whole trajectory because I spent like not even a half a day, like two, three hours doing a very basic Huff tutorial. And it just, it just all clicked. It all made sense. Like, you know, started to understand about the stack and the memory and how everything's kind of based on opcodes. Um, so it was just amazing, you know, and, 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 and then I went back to the Yule stuff and I'm like, oh, I get it now. Now I see what they were trying to say here. So that, that turned me into a huffer. And uh, yeah, I mean, from there, like, um, there was this kind of like grassroots movement like Jet really brought a bunch of people together. He didn't only reach out to me, he reached out to other people uh, like RefCell. And um, then there started to be a little bit of buzz about this like um, rewrite of the Huff compiler in Rust. And um, yeah, so I, I wasn't involved with, directly with the development of that, but I was like there using it. I was a tester. And then once uh, we got the compiler out, um, we put out, um, basically like Huff version of Soulmate, we call it Huffmate. So uh, I was very and a very active contributor to that. I worked on the ERC-20 implementation uh, with RefCell. And uh, yeah, I've just kind of become, like I'm a very vocal advocate for Huff. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm kind of like a cheerleader of Huff. And uh, I don't know, I've just kind of, I know I'm almost a little bit like a DevRel, you know, like just kind of fell into that role uh, just because of my enthusiasm. Um, but yeah, like that's kind of like how I went from not knowing anything to uh, kind of being, they, you know, what they uh, Jay Trilly calls me the uh, the chief pharmacist because I'm always huff pilling people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, Jay Trilly's the man. Him and I actually uh, together we initially launched this podcast. 
out of Superfluid, where we, Jay Chile used to work here, but I, I still work at Superfluid. I know um, all of that. And uh, he's talked about you a lot. And he was one of my early mentors when I first switched to Huff. Like he took the time to walk me through a couple of basics. And uh, he was just very patient and very generous of his time and his knowledge. So yeah, he uh, was one of definitely one of my mentors along the way. And uh, yeah, I still, you know, talk to him a lot. And I know he was at Superfluid and I actually did an audit of Superfluid and that is a pretty complex code base. I'll tell you that. <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a lot you can do with it. It's powerful. That's why, you know, Jay Trilly and I got into it and I'm still into it. He was into it for a long time. Um, but yeah, Jay Trilly, I'm sure you're listening to this. You're the man. Thanks He's for helping out DevTool again. Um, but okay, so we've had a couple episodes that have centered on like low level stuff. We've talked a lot about Huff on some other episodes, but uh, why should people learn Huff? Give us the, uh, you know, we, we, we're usually a very anti-shilling show, right? Yeah. We, don't, we don't let people show here, but this is unique because I think there's a lot of really good educational pieces in here uh, about why you should learn Huff, but I'll let you, I'll let you give the pitch for Huff in your own words. Right, right. Oh, I, d I didn't really have the pitch ready to go. I didn't want to do any shit. <laughs> okay. Let me think. Uh, I mean, basically, like, I was just looking up something that I wrote recently when somebody asked me to do the same thing. They said, give me the pitch on Huff. Okay. So, Huff. Huff is really not so much a language as it is kind of like a thin wrapper around pure EBM opcodes. So, like... You know, there's certain complexities and certain kind of um, uh, challenges when you're writing pure, just, you know, bytecode that uh, Huff helps out with. So, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, it's a really great learning tool. I think within a, a, a very short amount of time, you're going to develop a deep understanding of like exactly how the EVM works, stack, memory. You know what? It's even going to kind of increase your understanding a lot about solidity functionality because when you're writing Huff, you don't have all these guardrails that you get with solidity and you start to appreciate them. So you actually learn about the EVM, you learn about solidity. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like if you're interested in learning Yule, well, I would say stop what you're doing, learn a little Huff first. And then when you go back, Yule is going to be you know, a lot more intuitive. So that's kind of the pitch for the education. As far as like real world applications go, I mean, it can be used for writing hyper-optimized contracts. And that's like the original reason that Huff was developed uh, by Zach Williamson and his team at Aztec Protocol for writing like uh, a very optimized uh, elliptical curve uh, math library. And, um, but you know what, it's not like, it's not like you'll in the sense that you could just inject a little bit of it into solidity, a solidity contract. It's all or nothing. So there's not a whole lot of use cases where I can look you in the eye and recommend that you write an entire contract out of, you know, low level bytecode. No, like, I mean, there's just so many foot guns. I mean, that's why we have solidity and these other, you know, higher level languages is to provide that type of protection. And uh, I don't know, it would be like, I don't know, like if you were to like attach like a, 
like a, a lawnmower motor to your skateboard and be like, yo, can I go ride this on the freeway now? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you don't want to be doing that and you don't want to be uh, using, I would say, pure byte code to deploy your contracts. Uh, there could be some other, I think, uses for it in the future, but like as a general rule, like, you know, I, I, I don't recommend, uh, you know, using Huff for your production contracts. Makes sense. And I, I've heard that before from other people. I love the, uh, the, the lawnmower motor analogy. <laughs> I just fantastic. thought of that. Yeah. That's like, good. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a good one. Um, so what are some of the things then, cause this is actually maybe worth unpacking. What are some of the things that you appreciate about solidity and higher level languages now, now that you've gone really deep into the low level, like, like what, what has solidity done really well? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just so many things it's hard to, there's so many, I mean, there's a lot of debate as to whether they've done it well. And I've heard a lot of criticism of, you know, solidity in general. And, you know, even sometimes of it gets extended to the solidity core team. And I don't agree with that at all. I know a lot of the solidity core guys, they are super smart. They're working their ass off and they're doing good, solid engineering work. And, you know, I mean, um, you know, decisions are made along the way and you, you know, don't always, things don't always work out, you know, uh, as, as, as maybe as perfectly as you had hoped or, you know, unforeseen things arise. But like, just in terms of examples of, of some of the guardrails, right? I recently did a seminar for uh, Spearbit Dow about Huff and it was a one hour seminar and we spent almost, so, so it was basically just me going through this example, right? It was like simple store where you can like store a state variable and you can get it. Super simple. So we spent the first over 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes, just getting to the point where you've, you've, you've taken the four byte function selector out of the call data and you've kind of routed it to the proper function. That's all we did. We didn't even execute any functions. All we did was this like initial routing of saying, oh, you know, the first four bytes is the getter. We're going to call the getter macro. We didn't even get into the getter macro, but just that whole kind of routing at the beginning and the, you know, the parsing of the call data, that took me 35 minutes to explain. And that's an example of something we don't even think about when we write solidity. It just happens, right? So, you know, there's an example. I mean, another good example of things that people probably don't think about is like, I'm sure you've probably heard the gas optimization trick of add payable to your functions to save 20 gas, or I don't, I don't know how much gas it is, but save some gas by adding, you know, this one keyword payable. And I remember learning that and I was like, okay, that's weird, but yeah, whatever, saves gas. So once you learn Huff, you realize the reason for that is you have to actually write some extra code if it's not payable. You, if, you, if it's not payable, you have to write code that says, okay, was any ETH sent over with this transaction? Yes, well then revert. So you have to write that code to make it not payable. So if you don't, if, if, if it is payable, then you don't have to write that, that, that code. So that's where the gas savings comes in. So there's just like a couple examples. I mean, you know, uh, safe math is huge. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Interesting. So there are things that actually were written in, in Solidity for a reason and all the optimizers, even though they want to optimize for, they're, maybe they're optimizing for uh, gas costs, but in reality, Solidity developers, as, as they're actually 
not Solidity developers, but the Solidity core team, as they're building this language, they just have a different set of trade-offs they're probably focused on when compared to someone like you really pushing the limits with Huff and, and things like that. I think that's uh, maybe the right way to think about it. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to Huff and the, and the Huff community, are there any advanced patterns or new things you'd like to see the Huff community do that maybe haven't been done yet? I mean, as far as patterns go, nothing really comes to mind. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, you always see very creative uh, solutions to various CTFs and optimization challenges that that come up. And I love seeing all the creativity out of those. But like, I mean, for the most part, what we've seen is just highly optimized uh, versions of stuff that's already out there. Now, what I think could come someday, but I think there's a potential for, is a couple of things. Like one is, um, well, there's one huge area that I think is untapped right now. And, uh, you know, Dylan Keller, who I mentioned earlier, has said um, that he, you know, he, he, he wants to like write this series of articles about using Huff to create uh, virtual machines, okay? Um, there actually is one right now in production used by Nested Finance. They call it Hypervisor VM. And it's actually like an EVM written on the EVM. So like it allows you to like pass arbitrary bytecode uh, and have it executed. So there is one example, uh, you know, of a virtual machine written in Huff. Um, but I think that you can really apply that to any kind of virtual machine like actually back in the day when I was a, a web two dev, at one point I became like this uh, state machine maxi. I was like, I wanted to turn everything into a state machine. Like state machines are pretty cool. And there's like this even more fancy version of state machine called state charts. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can really encapsulate a lot of logic into a state machine. And at the end of the day, pretty much everything is basically just a state machine. Uh, so I still have a lot, I still have that kind of a, uh, a tendency, uh, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to fit everything into the state machine box anymore. But I, I think that you could use Huff to basically, like, there's this one library I used to use a lot called XState, and it allows you to create these uh, really cool state machines with JavaScript library. They also had a Python one, but like, I bet you could do. I think you could. And this has been like on my my list of to do projects, but I think you could create basically a version of XState that lives on chain and it's like a state machine factory. So you feed it some parameters uh, of like the different states and the different transitions and uh, et cetera. And it will kind of basically just crank out a highly optimized uh, state machine for your use. And some of the cool stuff that you could do with uh, something like that is you could just circumvent all of the kind of the... Um, like, I guess, you know, the solidity conventions, like, especially with call data, right? Like right now you got your four byte signature followed by your, you know, all your arguments are padded to 32 bytes, et cetera. I mean, you could just have your uh, state machine change, you know, uh, states by like passing it like one, you know, you and eight, you know, you just pass it a one or a two or a three. And so there's, I think some creative things you can, interactions you can have with a non-standard, non-typical uh, uh, contract like that. Interesting. The state machine maxi, the former state machine maxi. I'm a recovering state machine maxi. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I love it. Um, and you know, one thing about people that have gone very deep into Huff, right, that have really tried to push the limits with this low level stuff, like yourself, like like Vex, who we had on a few a few months ago, and and Jay Trilly, is that it seems like you guys have really had a high, uh, like, like your rate of learning is, is extremely, extremely high. You're able to learn things extremely quickly. Like in the last year or so, like a, a year ago, you said you started to yield full time. I mean, how many things have you learned between now and then? It, it's actually kind of incredible. I, I can see the same thing with Jay Trilly as well, right? It's, it's, it's really, really incredible how fast you guys have developed in, in the space. So why do you think so many huffers have had the success they've had. Is there just something about like being together in a community that's powerful and maybe Huff is just like a thing that brought you together, but it's actually more the community and the mentorship. Is there something about like the actual learning of the language itself that's helpful? Like, how do you, how do you see that? Why do you think so many Huffers have had success? That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I totally agree too. Like there's so many giga chads on the, like the Huff core team. Um, you know, Vex, as you mentioned, RefCell, um, he goes by Madea. Um, man, I'm going to miss all of them. There's Mathis GD. There's so many. Fran Fran. I'm sorry if I forgot your name, but there's just so many people who have done uh, so much uh, for the Huff community. And that's definitely a huge, huge perk, I'd say, or a huge you know, reason that uh, I think people get involved. But if you kind of look at it, um, just at Huff itself, I think it's, it's, first of all, there's a certain level of complexity just to kind of be able to wrap your head around it, right? So there's like a little bit of a bar barrier to entry. And then once you kind of get into it, it's just such a fun, I, I mean, um, somebody said recently, they said, Huff is like writing bytecode, but with a, you know, 100 times the uh, improved DX, right? Like it's just so fun and it's so powerful. And if you get like very intellectually curious people and you give them something that's kind of fun and powerful like this, I think they really dig it and they really go far with it. And, uh, you know, I think that might explain why Huff attracts the kind of people that it does. And I mean, it's, a, it's you're right. Like, like it's so funny. Like right now there's been a little bit of a lull in the kind of the, um, the core maintainers because all the core devs have recently gotten like super awesome jobs, you know, like, uh, like uh, both Vex and RefCell are working in Optimism now. Uh, Madia, my God, he works for Aztec. Like that's like every Huffer's dream job, right? Like every Huffer is like, oh, I would love to work at Aztec with Zach Williamson. You know, he's like the hero, you know, the the original inventor of Huff. So he got the dream job. He's 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 working over there. Uh, you know, Jay Trilly just started working with Fuel Labs. Um, the list goes on. So I think, uh, yeah. Um, there's a couple other jobs that I'm, I'm forgetting that people got recently. So there's kind of been this lull because all these uh, talented people have been kind of scooped up. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's one of the more successful, uh, I guess, like uh, communities or maybe maybe it's actually one of the more successful nerd snipes that, that have existed in this space. <laughs> I think that's a great uh, way to put it. That is such a great way. Huff is like the ultimate nerd snipe. Yeah, it's done well as a nerd sniper. Future per, a prospective nerd snipers should study the Huff community. Maybe they'll <laughs> learn something. Um, okay, so let's let's move on to security a little bit, right? So 
you've gone through a path in the space where you've you started working at, at Yield after that mentorship. You got deeper into Solidity. You got into the low-level stuff. And I'm sure working on a DeFi protocol, like security is part of your daily thought process as you're building things. Um, I was going to ask you how you'd recommend other people get better at security. But maybe what's what's a better initial question is how have you uh, evolved in terms of someone who thinks about smart contract security over the last year and a half to two years? Yeah, well, looking back to when I first started the mentorship with Alberto, he emphasized security from day one. So that was always something that was an important factor uh, when, when, when developing smart contracts. And, you know, I would say that it's really Alberto who originally sparked that kind of interest that's kind of become this passion, uh, passion for security. Um, just because like from day one, that was, that was something that he emphasized. And I think it's really telling that, so, 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 you know, did the mentorship starting in the summer, kind of full-time by the end of the year. So around May of 2022, last year, um, I, I, I had gotten really uh, interested in, joining Y Academy. They have this fellowship and I really, I applied for it. I was, I was really interested in joining. And just based on what I learned working with Alberto, just based on that knowledge he kind of transferred to me alone, I was able to get through the very uh, kind of intensive interview process that they had. So at that point, I hadn't done anything like Securium. I hadn't really done much outside of just, you know, develop smart contracts working with Alberto, but because, you know, security had always been such an important uh, consideration, you know, I really just learned a lot just from on the job, I guess you could say. Um, and it's also just kind of so interesting too, because it adds this whole other vector to kind of optimize for. You can optimize for runtime gas, you know, you can optimize for readability, sustainability. And then now, you know, there's this very important other vector security that, you know, is, is, is you know, the most important vector, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. So for you, you had this mentorship that helped you out a lot. You develop smart contracts every day that help you keep security top of mind. And you're actually building things with these principles in your, your head the whole time. You get into uh, this academy that's really useful for you. Let's imagine that like you're talking to our audience, some of which are early career devs. Maybe some of them are uh, just starting to write smart contracts. Maybe they just landed their first job writing Solidity. What do you recommend for them if they want to get better at security and level up in this area? Is it just find somebody to help mentor you? Or are there things they can do on their own? Like, How would you recommend that they um, get better? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um... So, I mean, you know, I guess kind of like maybe it would make sense for me to just kind of go through the the rest of the story since Y Academy. So like, you know, Y Academy was really where I learned even what an auditor is, what an audit is, what an auditor even does, you know, like I hadn't really thought about it too much prior to that. I had been on the 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 kind of the consumer side of getting an audit. But, you know, normally um, I would just kind of see the end result of that and, you know, work to 
implement the fixes. And I had never really thought about what an auditor does. So at Y Academy, they just kind of throw you onto these audits and, and kind of let you figure it out. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's something we can, we, can, we can talk more about too, like kind of, you know, what, you know, I kind of, kind of the, what I developed, this mental model of auditing. But in any event, I kind of like, that's where I first started doing some auditing. I loved it. Okay. It, it just, it used a different part of my brain. And there's this like kind of excitement that you don't get from being a developer. Like when you've kind of, when you've kind of identified a, a potential exploit and you're kind of honing in on it and you've got, you got this little POC going and you, you know, you're kind of drilling down. And then finally, when you see like your test pass and like all the ETH go into your attacker's account and the test is green, it's such a cool feeling, you know, it's just like such a, a rush, you know? So, um, you know, there's that kind of, you know, uh, aspect to it, but it's just also, like I said, it's a different part of your brain. It's kind of big picture thinking, like just kind of thinking it from a high level for me, like the real audit starts once you've wrapped your head around the protocol. So once you've kind of like, you know, once you can, once you've, you've looked at the code so much and you understand the code so much that you could just kind of like in your head, you know, think through certain workflows and maybe not every detail, but you know, you could, you could, you could kind of work it through your head or, you know, this happens sometimes if you start dreaming about the code, then you know you've reached this the zone. But that's when the real the real uh, audit starts because that's when you can start think of thinking of bigger picture things. You could start uh, you know think of various kind of economic attacks, game theory type attacks. Um, you know, because up until then, when you don't really have a, a a strong understanding of the protocol, you're just finding like the same kind of thing the static analyzers can find. You're just finding little syntactical things, little you know, uh, informational or low issues. Maybe there's some high ones because the developer made a mistake, but they're not really that creative, right? Like those are the things that I really love to find is like these uh, kind of very creative uh, exploits. So um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that was the Y Academy experience. And from there, I just started doing a ton of auditing. I did a lot of C4, Code 4 Arena. I did some Sherlock. I did a, uh, an audit for Y Academy. Later, I joined Spearbit DAO. I did an audit with them. Um, but I was just getting so burnt out on doing like yield all day and then like auditing stuff nights and weekends. It was really, uh, it was really rough. So I, I actually kind of toward the end of the year, like September, I, I, I kind of pulled back on the auditing. But I, you know, I, I really loved it. And uh, I had a good friend who was also uh, Y Academy uh, Ben Sams, uh, and he he got a job with Trail of Bits, and he kind of uh, referred me over. He encouraged me to, uh, you know, apply, and uh, yeah, I did. I mean, the you know, the rest is history, as they say. But uh, that's kind of like been my curve. So now, like, with that in mind, to finally answer your question about some advice for a newcomer, I think there's a lot of you know resources out there. You know, I mean, I think like. You know, once I did go through uh, Y Academy, I started uh, reviewing a lot. Like, actually, Trail of Bits has some excellent resources. Uh, I think we just released it as its own website, but there's this thing. It used to be called Building Secure Contracts, but now there's just like a secure contracts uh, website. And it contains a lot of like uh, 
educational information. I don't know, like if you call it tips, there's even like some exercises. So there's a little bit of a curriculum on there. Um, and at the end of the day though, like in terms of upping your audit game, I think it's just about doing it. Like it, it, it's just about actually, you know, doing, a, getting, getting your reps in, I guess, you know, and by a rep, it could be a C4 contest, it could be an audit, or it could just be something you do on your own, where you try to take a, some sort of code base that you've never seen before and gain a deep understanding of it. That's really what the rep is. The rep is doing that. And the more you do that, the more, the better you're going to be, the quicker it's going to take. You're developing all kinds of like pattern recognition, uh, you know, um, kind of, kind of mental models that will help you to, uh, you know, recognize things quicker the next time. So the first time you do it, it might take you 40, 50 hours to really understand, you know, like, I don't know, a lending protocol if you've never looked at it before. But then I guarantee you after doing like, 10 lending protocols, that 10th one is going to be a lot quicker than the first one. So uh, I really think to really get from like that beginner, like, okay, I know all the Securium 101, you know, best practices to somebody who's, uh, you know, a good security researcher, you got to put the reps in. That's interesting. I think that's really good advice. And, and the nice thing about this industry is that every single protocol you'd want to look at is it's there. You could just go look at it, just pull up the GitHub. Like you could even like get the repo locally and just mess with it there, right? There's nothing really stopping you. The information is all there. Now, the, the challenging thing though, and this is almost, this is like one of those things that's probably very hard to teach. You can learn it, but it's, uh, it's, probably diff it's probably difficult to like turn this into some direct do this, then that curriculum. But like, what is your mental model of doing an audit, right? You mentioned that you have this process where you just like, front load all of this information about this code base in your mind and then that's when the audit starts but like for you can you walk us through just like what a typical audit looks like yeah. in your case yeah i mean i've kind of like touched on a lot of um a lot of these things um but i mean basically for me like an audit start, starts with you know going through the documentation and really trying to understand the concepts. And there's kind of like this debate out there, like, you know, oh, we shouldn't use documentation. We should just look at the code and, you know, try to figure it out because like the documentation is gonna, you know, affect our uh, perception and it, you know, uh, it, might, it might cause us to miss something. I mean, that's true, but like, I think the benefit you gain of uh, getting up to speed on, on a new code base far, far uh, exceeds, you know, that, that, that kind of uh, risk that you're taking uh, by reading the docs. So read the docs, get to know as much as you can. And, um, and then it's a matter of kind of just drilling into the code. Now, there's a lot of um, uh, ways that you can drill into the code. Um, and I used to not be a big proponent of like, doing static analysis, I just felt like it had so many um, false positives and it wasn't really bringing up a lot of uh, beneficial things. I wanted to just, you know, jump into the code, but I've kind of changed my view on that. Like, even before I started uh, with Trail of Bits, I started getting into Slither and um, 
one of the things that Slither has is this thing's called printers, Slither Print. And so like Slither Printers allows you to like look at contracts and functions in different ways, which was actually something I was already doing manually. You know, I was already like looking at contracts and trying to figure out what were all the external functions that, you know, were uh, not, you know, permissioned functions, et cetera. And so um, static analysis, that, that was kind of like my gateway into really getting it, you know, a lot more into static analysis was these printers, these kind of like ways to slice and dice, you know, the data. So, um, yeah, now I am a, a, a proponent of, uh, of running the static analyzer, running the slither, going through all the findings. It's probably the case that you, uh, you, 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 you know, you're going to have some, some, some false positives in there, but that's just, you know, part of the job. And, uh, so, you, you know, it, it can also be very useful too. um, there's a lot of kind of uh, creative things you can do with building your own detectors. And I've kind of gotten into that a little bit too, but uh, in terms of like just the standard audit. So I think that is a great way to start out. And then, yeah, I mean, it's usually I'll start with some contract, like let's say there's a bunch of different aspects, like, you know, let's say there's like an AMM and a lending contract and, you know, I don't know, some kind of accounting contract. If I'm just like completely at a loss, I'll start with something that's familiar. So I've done a lot of work with AMMs. I'll probably start with the AMM contract and I'll like drill down all the way till I get, I'll do like a depth first search where I'll drill down to like some kind of contract that's not inheriting anything. And then I'll just go through line by line, kind of like taking notes and, uh, you know, I'll work my way uh, kind of back up until I've kind of looked at every line in, you know, the AMM, for example, and I'm taking notes like, oh, you know, there might be some reentrancy here or, oh, this would be a great, uh, uh, this would be a great kind of invariant to run Echidna on, uh, do some fuzzing. Um, very, you know, I'm, I'm just taking a little notes, but I'm not like doing a deep dive on them at the time because one thing I've noticed is if you have a question early, it may get answered a little bit later. So I don't really go down the rabbit holes as I see them. I just kind of list out the rabbit holes. And then once I've kind of gotten to that, you know, gotten through the AMM, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to those notes and I'm doing the deep dives. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell how I, I, I kind of go about it. And depending on the size of the protocol and kind of the size of the team, I may just go through the entire protocol at once and then kind of start doing all my uh, deeper dives, or I might kind of take it, you know, uh, section by section. If, 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 if it's a really big protocol, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to start working on some of the uh, POCs for the AMM, for example. So Interesting. Yeah, I appreciate you walking our listeners through that process. It's fascinating for me to listen to just because it sounds like it's, uh, it's interesting, right? You get to understand how all these different systems work. Um, and it, I, th I find it, I find it also interesting that there are some, I would imagine almost checklist style things that are part of an audit, right? You're going to run static analysis on this and you're going to use Echidna on that. And you're going to make sure that these specific uh, patterns aren't in there, like the Securium 101 stuff. But every single auditor, I think, has their, their own process and unique way of coming to an understanding of how a code base works. And I find it interesting to hear someone like you talk through that. So that's fascinating to me. But 
on the side, okay, if we flip back over to the builder side, right? Um, you know, after doing quite a few audits and seeing lots of different patterns from lots of different devs and doing your own development work yourself, are there any patterns or mistakes or semi-dangerous things that you still see often that you wish people building smart contracts would stop doing? Uh, if, if there are any things like that, we'd love to, we'd love to hear them. The first thing that comes to mind is just uh, documentation. I think that like it's just so much easier for the auditor if there's good documentation in place. And if there's not, it makes it a lot more difficult. So, you know, I think documentation is a big area for improvement. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of things you could do to prepare. I think that actually there's a really good Trail of Bits article about um, preparing for an audit. Maybe I'll, maybe I can send you a link and we can like put it on here with a couple of the other things I mentioned too. But like thinking back to that article, I mean, it's basically like you're optimizing for getting the auditors kind of up to speed quickly and allowing them to focus on the bigger picture. So you should be the one to take out all those little low hanging fruit, you know? You should be the one to be sure the code is peer reviewed, it's got tests, if it's got some fuzzing, uh, even better, you know? Uh, if it's got uh, great, good documentation, that's gonna be a huge help. But I've seen some amazing um, uh, documentation that includes like all kinds of helpful diagrams, even like video walkthroughs, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the developer will like kind of walk through certain complex parts of the code. All of that stuff is super helpful. Um, and yeah, let's see, I mentioned like running uh, Slither in advance and triaging all that. And I think like, you know, devs in our space have gotten really good at writing tests but i think that like now we're on the verge of writing even better tests you know like starting to do more invariant tests uh with like you know echidna or manicore also like um yeah i mean just in general like i think that what we're gonna see is uh that that this kind of 2023 are gonna be more like the year of the invariant test, you know, like that's going to become more of a mainstay in the development process um, this year. And we're, we're seeing that we're seeing, you know, those kind of uh, competitions around writing properties pop up. And, you know, that's actually, it's funny, like, oh, I got a funny story. So like when I, I told you that I interviewed with Trail of Bits and um, man, the final interview was really intense it was just like a two-hour technical grilling by you know two of the senior people who were very extremely knowledgeable themselves and they just they basically picked out every piece of information i had in my head as they had like a perfect map like a mind map of of my brain so when i started they sat me down and they said okay we know you're really good at this this and this and here are your weaknesses. <laughs> they already knew what my weaknesses are. So one of my biggest weaknesses was property testing, you know, and 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 fuzzing and 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 um, you know, to some extent, uh, symbolic execution testing. So yeah, they've been having me, you know, in addition to shadowing audits, I'm also uh, spending time kind of 
upskilling my 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 property testing um and so yeah there's like some amazing videos that i've been watching it's like there's a fuzzing workshop that was just put out by trailer bits where they do like live streaming uh uh fuzzing uh using echidna and uh that's 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 been like extremely helpful to my education but yeah i've been uh i think this year we're gonna we're gonna, i think this is gonna kind of be like the year of the year of the invariant testing <laughs> that's interesting yeah i started to go pretty deep into invariant testing as well in my day-to-day -day work just helping people building on superfluid with stuff there's a framework that our cto put together that's been helpful for us so yeah i'm, I'm with you there i'm learning a lot about invariant tests but on the, on the topic of tooling, there's a lot of hype around AI tools right now, right? I even think I saw one audit firm pop up that said that like their their whole competitive advantage is like they were using, you know, some kind of GPT thing to aid in their audit process. How do you think AI is going to, and I guess some of this other stuff like Copilot and um, new models that are are trained on uh, smart contracts and in our in our space. How do you think that's going to impact what you do as an auditor, if at all? I mean, in some ways, it's kind of hard to say right now. It's a new field. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I've been loving ChatGPT. It's super fun. And uh, I spent a ton of time. I got the premium package going. You know, I definitely use it a lot. But, you know, I use it with kind of some caveats. You know, it's, it's kind of unclear how these large language models uh how far they're going to take us like you know it's definitely it seems like it's a, a very promising field to explore um and there's definitely some things that it's good at right now you know like uh actually uh we just implemented this thing in slither it's called slither documentation and uh you basically just uh run it and it'll add all your nat spec for you it'll like figure out what the code is doing and write your english documentation it's actually really good at that so i mean that is like uh i think a very low risk um thing that it can do right now but i mean in terms of can we just feed it a smart contract and it picks out all the 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 the, the vulnerabilities i don't know if that will ever happen maybe maybe not i mean i don't know if that'll ever happen with gpt you know i mean there's been a lot of arguments uh that i've heard that um you know, indicate that it just might be too complex. Uh, and Trailbits actually has an amazing machine learning team. And yeah, I mean, I'm like, actually, like, I'm just kind of starting my AI arc here. Like that, that you know, this is the beginning. I don't have a lot of deep knowledge about that other than, you know, having some fun with, with ChatGPT, but I'm super interested. I'm super excited to kind of be at like the intersection of AI and blockchain security. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of like really, really like world-class, you know, AI machine learning uh, uh, experts at Trail of Bits. So I'm just feel super fortunate about that. <clears throat> yeah, the Trail of Bits team sounds very impressive. Um, and I'm with you on, I'm, I'm unsure how far large language models are going to take us to the uh a lot of the ai hype on twitter feels very similar to like peak uh crypto <laughs> conversation you know there's a i'm starting to see a lot of parallels um but we'll see we'll see i suppose it's been fun to use for sure another thing that that uh i saw you i think you replied to a tweet the other day 
that um, it was it was somebody talking about how writing production ready code isn't that exciting. Uh, it's it's boring, right? Production ready code, you know, it has to be so secure. It doesn't it can't take that many risks. But just spewing inspiration in the form of random code on chain is sometimes just fun. It's just sometimes what you want to do. And your reply to that, I think, was interesting in that you highlighted that that's actually the way you learn a lot of new concepts by just exploring, seeing where things take you uh, and and experimenting on like the most extreme frontiers. Uh, actually, you know, even if it's not done in the name of high productivity, it's where learning happens, right? So can you unpack that a little bit and maybe just talk a little bit more about, about how you see some of this experimentation? Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that tweet. I think it was kind of like, um, it was kind of at the, at the end of um, some kind of messing around we were doing with uh, basically adding logic and like, not just like variable assignment, but like all kinds of like function invocation and basically adding like the entire logic of a function inside and emit like you you know when you emit an event so like well it all started i think with uh art gobblers so like there was a couple of events where like i think transmissions 11 like you know like if you say like unx x equals six that evaluates to six so you could do like to kill two birds with one stone by putting that in as an argument. If you wanted to put that result, you know, that six in there as an argument, you could put as your first argument, you know, X equals six. And what you've just done is you've assigned six as the value of that argument. And you've also uh, assigned the variable X to six, six to the, to the X. So anyway, we noticed that. And then we started jo- kind of joking around. I think it was with horse facts. Uh, oh, let's see, you know, see how far we can take this. Let's put the whole kind of function uh, logic into it. And so we did that. That was kind of funny. haha. But then um, several months later, it kind of came up again. I think it was Ross that brought it up. And, and, and we started taking it even further. And I'm like, all right, I'm putting up a bounty. Who can write an entire ERC-20 uh, contract where all of the logic is contained within, you know, emits? And uh, I think it was uh, Daniel Forge who uh, ended up being the winner of that. But like, yeah, that's the kind of experimentation you're talking about. And the 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 comments were mixed, right? Like half the people are like, "Oh, that's so cool and funny." Oh, what about this? What if you did this? You know, and just kind of rolling with it. And the other half were like, "This is you know so ugly. Oh my God, what are you guys doing? Stop doing this. This is a bad idea." You know, and so that was kind of like, there was like all these different kind of comments. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this kind of experimentation. I've done a lot of it. If you go through my GitHub, I got all kinds of crazy stuff in there. And uh, I think that it's it, it provides two things, okay? One is like, it actually, it actually, I think, is conducive with, uh, innovation okay like not always a lot of times we're just joking around but like you know that's kind of i think how uh new kind of concepts and new uh patterns emerge is by trying to do a bunch of you know uh trying to break things and trying to you know it's almost like a a test pilot right like flying around 
like we're trying to crash the plane so that you know it doesn't crash when you're when you're in it um so i think there's this i think that that i i just i'm a huge supporter of just like that kind of experimentation in general um but then i think there's also this like um it's it's that's what the tweet you're referring to there's this like kind of uh relief is that the word i'm looking for this like like you're sitting there you're grinding out these like super safe and which means super boring right boring is safe and so you're doing your best to like just write these very as boring as possible safe contracts and it feels fun to like, kind of like let loose and just like do the exact opposite write something super unsafe so there's a little bit of just this kind of like letting loose that i think we were kind of alluding to in that tweet and a lot of people really, uh, especially, yeah, I really resonated with that because, uh, yeah, it can get to be a bit of a grind when you're just doing hours and hours of solidity every day. And it's, it's just fun. You know, it's just fun. Like I did this one thing where um, there's this, this thing called an access list where if you send an access list with a transaction, it will uh, make certain storage slots, whatever slots you specify, it'll make them warm. So... Anyway, long story short, I created this library where you could basically uh, communicate, you know, uh, as much data as you want through an access list because it, it, it changes those hot and cold slots into kind of binary. And so if you send 256 of them, you can, you can trigger 256 bits. So uh, I created this whole library around being able to send, uh, you know, uh, to communicate with a smart contract via the access list making slots warm or cold so you know just stupid stuff like that it's fun to do and it kind of it's it you know you learn a lot too like in the the thing about emitting events it's really kind of stuck in my head now that uh when arguments are being evaluated it goes from right to left so if you have something uh that's dependent on something else having gone first you know you need to have the appropriate order. You should put the thing that goes first on the right and the, 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 the other one on the left. So that, yeah, that's just kind of the whole thing with the experimentation. Um, you know, it's fun, but I think it's also worthwhile. And it's also just kind of like a break from, you know, the, the you know, what can be, it can be monotonous, you know, uh, uh, just kind of plugging away sometimes. Sometimes it, it, it might feel that way. Yeah, that's see. This, there's something so interesting about this that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I think it's that like a lot of people. If you go on Twitter, if you just you know, if you I don't know, if you go on the internet at all, everyone's talking about how you have to look for like these most important problems and solve like the biggest, most important problems you can, and you can only focus on those things, and you got to like pick this super long term goal, and you got to go for that. And I think there's a, there's a place for that, right? Like in, ter- when, in terms of like the actual products you decide to build things you want to take to market, all that stuff. Like, yeah, you you want to solve important problems because those are, th- those are things that are going to have impact and that's good. But there's definitely a dark side to that. And if you're only focused on these huge, important problems you want to solve, I think, you know, you end up maybe having a little less fun. And I think that there's actually something to be said about just playing around and experimenting and going wherever curiosity takes you. Because to be honest with you, like, the most important problem in three years, like people might, might not even be able to articulate what that is yet because the space might move so fast, you know, and you can't really predict what the future is going to hold. And I think that there's something about 
you, Jay Trilly, Vex, Refsel, this group of people that are into Huff and just playing around on chain, like Jay Trilly's got his curse loaded Fridays he does every once in a while. <laughs> you know, where you guys just try to break stuff, right? It seems like you're having fun. And I think that there's some connection. This is just my hypothesis. I think that there's some connection between, you, you know, your guys' willingness to just play around and your rates of learning. Because again, like every single one of the people we've kind of talked about in this conversation, you've all learned so much in such a short period of time. You've come a really long way in a short period of time. And I don't know. I think if you're maybe listening to this, one thing to keep in mind is that you can just follow curiosity and play as long as you're producing things in public still. I, I think it can work really well. So I, I, I appreciate you you telling that story and unpacking that tweet because it I think it just made some things click in my own head. Um, so thank I, you. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. I think that was very well said. You know, I think that I only kind of learned that once I got into Web3. So I don't know if it's definitely like a Web3, Web2 thing. Um, I don't know if like, you know, I just, it's just a coincidence. I just get lucky. But like, like since I've gotten into Web3, I've just been kind of like following my passion, you know? Oh, like Huff looks cool. I want to get into, oh, I'm super digging uh, doing, uh, you know, security and get deeper into that. And, you know, if, you know, if I could go back to like, you know, a young dev tool again, I would say, hey, you know, I would tell them exactly that. I would say, hey, follow your passion, you know, because there's, I didn't even know that there's like jobs where you could just sit around all day doing open source contributions. <laughs> like there's jobs like that. There's jobs that are like a mix of like, you know, 50%, you know, open source and 50% uh, kind of more of a structured activity. Uh, you know, at Trail of Bits, it's very research centric, you know, um, like, you know, I think a good 20% at least of my time is just going to be spent working on tools, R&D, and everybody kind of has this like uh, very uh, research centric uh, attitude. So there's, you know, there, there, there are definitely jobs out there that are not just nine to five clock punching things where you're trying to, you know, finish certain tasks. You know, so I would just, you know, recommend following your passion and that is going to allow you to go deeper into things that is going to allow you to, uh, that's going to, you know, it's a lot more fun and you have a lot more energy learning something that you're passionate about than, you know, learning something because that's the flavor of the day. So, uh, that's, you know, maybe something good to end on is, uh, yeah, follow your, follow your passion kids. The money will come later. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't think we could end it at, mu at a much better place than that. So DevTool, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a blast of a conversation. And yeah, is there anything else you want to leave our audience with today? Any other places you'd like to point them online or anything else you'd like to say? No, nah, we got nothing to show. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll send you some links, though, that you can put, uh, you know, on onto the uh, show uh notes that'll uh you know, have some references to the things i talked about cool dev tool again has nothing to show i love it that's that's one of the best <laughs> answers i've ever heard of that so yeah we'll, we'll definitely put a lot of links in the show notes there's a lot of things i think people can take away from this episode with regard to security leveling up in their career um how they should approach learning new things and and also just like the process of doing an audit or doing a shadow audit if you want to just start getting better at this stuff so we'll link to all that stuff and yeah we'll leave it there Dev Tooligan, thank you. Thank you.